Hey, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Would you put your hands together? Help me welcome all of our first-time guests, both here in the room as well as online. So glad to have you guys worshiping with us. Hey, before we get into the message, I want to highlight the uh, times that we have coming up over the next two weeks because, uh, well, the next two weeks are going to be completely different from everything you're used to. And I want to make sure nobody is standing in the parking lot by themselves when they should be at home. Okay, so there you go. First thing is uh, this coming weekend, Christmas candlelight services. Uh, we're going to have two on Friday, three on Saturday, Christmas Eve, as you just heard about in the announcement. Um, the online services are on Christmas Eve only, and uh, you can check out all that on our, wap, our app or website. Website does not work. <laughs> app or website. Uh, and that leads to one week from today on Christmas morning. That will be online only. We will not be here in person. So stay home, unwrap your gifts, have hot chocolate with your family, and uh, worship online. We've got something special planned for you. And uh, then the week after that, as we go into New Year's, we will not have an in-person service on January 1st, New Year's Day, uh, just like Christmas. And sometimes people say, why do you guys do that? That seems weird. Why not have church on Sunday? Well, look, there, there used to be a day where in order to have a church service, all you needed was one guy to preach and one person to play the piano, and then we could all just kind of do whatever. Uh, if you've been here at Grace Life, you've noticed it takes a little bit more than that now. We, we have an army of people who help take care of your children and, and teach them everything God has for them. And then there's people in the parking lot and people making coffee because, God forbid, you didn't have coffee. Some of you wouldn't make it through a sermon if we didn't make coffee for you. The worship team, the production team, and the booth. I mean, it just, it takes a lot. And the truth is, with uh, the four services every weekend, five services on Christmas weekend, we, we just want people to have time with their families. And so that's why we do the two holidays online only. We get to still worship God and everybody gets to take a little bit of a breather. But for those of you that want to be here in person, we still have our Thursday service, the Thursday before New Year's, December 29th. That will be our live service. Uh, I don't know how many of you know this. I hope many of you know it. But we have a Thursday service every single week, and it is the first service of the weekend. What that means is if you're ever traveling out of town or whatever's going on, you can come on Thursday and you can get this exact same service. So for New Year's weekend, for those of you that want to worship in person and uh, you say online won't be good enough for me, well, great. Come on in here Thursday and we'll still have hot dogs for you. Even Ooh. Thursday, the 29th. There you go. That hot dogs excited one person, Mike Salazar. <laughs> Whew. We'll pray for you, brother. All right, everybody, we are wrapping up a series today. Today is the fourth and final part of our short little series we've been doing called Songs. Very simple idea. Songs move us. It's the power of words, the power of music coming together. Songs move us. That's why individuals have a favorite song. Couples have their song. Schools have an alma mater. Nations have a national anthem because songs move us. And if songs move humans, how much more should a worship song move a Christian? I'm not saying every song because you may not love them all. But the idea is as we worship God, the words that we're singing should actually convict us. We should be thinking about it and it should compel us to change our lives. And so we've been looking at a different song each week and uh, taking time to actually reflect on those words and wrestle with it. Like, do I actually believe the words I'm singing? Or is it in my head, but not in my heart? What do I need to do, God, to get to where this is real in my life? So the song that we're going to be looking at today, I think, is going to hit us in a pretty deep way. You know, there's a phrase that we say uh, a lot in Christian circles, especially and it's just kind of become so common that we say this, we don't even think about it. And it's the phrase, praise God. 
Matter of fact, it seems like it's taken the place of cool, awesome. We just say praise God to everything, right? You know, so this week I lost my wallet for two days. And so uh, on Tuesday, I thought two days was long enough. I lost it on Sunday, obviously, for all the math guys in the room. And uh, so on Tuesday, I went and led my men's group in the morning. And I said, hey, guys, I need some help. I need you to pray I'll find my wallet, you know, because uh, I haven't seen it in two days. And so they all prayed that I would find my wallet. So uh, we're not talking about prayer, but just a cool little story as I found my wallet within minutes of asking all of my prayer group to, to find it. But after they left, I found my wallet. And so I, I texted the group. I found my wallet. Guess what some of the responses were? There you go. And just before that, a few days before that, I'd been to a pastor's meeting. I'm part of a group of pastors here in the Columbia area that get together once a month, and we talk about what God is doing and pray for one another. And one of the churches there had been struggling to get permission to do something for two and a half years. And they said, would you pray with us? And so we prayed. Well, another cool testimony on prayer. God answered. So they text back to everybody. Hey, guess what, guys? Thank you for your prayers. Everything worked out, and we can now do what we've been trying to do for two and a half years. And guess what all the pastors in the text thread said. Have you noticed, though, that we only use that in really good circumstances and really positive outcomes? I mean, has anyone in the last two years gone up to somebody and said, hey, guess what? I just tested positive for COVID. And someone looked at you and said, praise God. <laughs> Didn't happen, did it? Any students in here find out that you have an algebra test one Friday and your response is, praise God. Maybe Kent, he was a math major. The rest of us, that is not a praise God kind of moment. You ever gone up to somebody and said, hey, can you pray for me? My marriage is in trouble. And they looked at you and said, praise God. Yeah. But I think that says something. The fact that we don't use the phrase praise God in difficult circumstances, I think tells us, first of all, we're not fully aware of the meaning. And we are definitely not fully aware of the power that that statement has. And the song that we're looking at today, some of you are trying to guess all through worship, like which song is it, which song is it, and we fooled you because we moved it to the second song. It wasn't the last one. But the song we're looking at is the song called Raise a Hallelujah. Raise a Hallelujah. And the, the phrases that we were singing over and over was, I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah, my weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah, heaven comes to fight for me. What does this even mean? That's a great place to start, thanks for asking. This idea of raise a hallelujah, most of us would say, I, I don't know what that phrase actually means. I mean, I know it sounds churchy, kind of means maybe sing a song or something like that. Well, let's start with the word hallelujah. The word hallelujah is actually a Hebrew word, and it's actually coming from putting two Hebrew words together. And so that's why we don't hear it much. There's only three places you're going to hear two Hebrew words put together. And that is either in the South when someone wins the lottery, you're going to hear hallelujah, or in church, or in Israel. So let's see if we can understand this. These two words, the first one is hallel, which means praise, and the ending of it is yah, which is an abbreviation for God's name, Yahweh. So when you say hallelujah, you're actually saying praise Yahweh, praise Yahweh, the God of the Bible. What does it mean to raise a praise Yahweh? What it means to raise a hallelujah is like when you raise a flag. When, a, when an army goes into battle and they raise a flag to say, this is the army, this is who we are, it's who we represent, it's, it's what country we're from. And when you take over a territory, you raise a flag to say, this is now belonging to us. 
Every state in our country raises the state flag over their capital to say this belongs to this state. So as, when we as believers, as children of God, raise a, praise Yahweh, we're saying this territory, me, my life, my circumstances belong to God. This territory is his. So raise a hallelujah. And I think it's important for us to understand we're not just talking about any idea of a heavenly being. We say hallelujah. We're not just talking about, well, you know, hey, uh, let's praise the lucky stars. And well, you know, the, the stars have aligned for me. And so thank the heavens. And, you know, a lot of times people try to use one of those ambiguous phrases talking about some being. But when we're actually saying hallelujah, we're talking about Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And the reason we can raise a hallelujah is not because your stars have aligned, but because of who he is. And because of who he is, we can trust him to do what he said he'll do. Does that start to make sense? We raise a hallelujah, not just because our circumstances have come together, but because we have a God that we can trust and a God who will do what he actually says. So let me show you a passage that helps us understand why we raise a hallelujah in the first place. And it's Psalm 146, for those of you that want to follow along. And it simply starts out like this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Now, anytime in your English Bible you see the word L-O-R-D, Lord, in all capital letters, it doesn't mean master or Lord like that word would normally mean. But it's actually the English way we represent what the Hebrew says there. What the Hebrew has there is the name Yahweh. L-O-R-D in all capitals, whenever you see it in your Bible, is God's name Yahweh. But see, the, the Israelites were so afraid of taking God's name in vain, they never even said his name. And so they would not even put the vowels into it. They would just have Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, is all they would have. And so whenever we see that in Hebrew scripture, we represent that with L-O-R-D in all capital letters. Is this making sense to everybody? So what that actually says when you read praise the Lord in all caps, you're actually reading praise Yahweh. Now one more step. I know you don't know Hebrew, but this would be the one time if I gave you a Hebrew Bible, you could actually read it because guess what that would say? Hallelujah. So what that is actually saying right there is hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then we'll stop our Hebrew lesson for the oh my soul because I don't even know that. But here is something important for you to know your nerd fact is the first time it says, praise the Lord, the first time it says hallelujah, it's plural. It's everybody, everybody come together. Hallelujah, come on, hallelujah. But the second one is singular. That means although we come in here, we gather together, the worship team kicks it off, we all start. The second one is when we have to look in the mirror and go, oh, my soul. Praise God. Oh, my soul, my feelings, my thoughts, my desires. You got to praise God. You may not feel like it. Feelings, you got to back up. Thoughts, you're not always in line. You're going to have to step aside. My desires, yeah, sometimes, man, you're not there. You're going to have to step aside because I need to raise a hallelujah. I need to praise God. And so it is great that we come together. Hey, everybody, hallelujah. But then we each are going to have to take a moment, look in the mirror and go, time for me, time for me to praise God. Time for me to declare Yahweh is good and I can trust him. And that's what the psalmist continues to explain to us. It's an incredibly intentional choice. You don't always feel like saying God is good. Right? I mean, there are days where like, I don't feel like that. But praise the Lord, oh my soul, 
Not praise the Lord because my circumstances are easy, but praise the Lord, oh my soul. And he continues to explain how he's going to go about this. So he says, I will praise the Lord. I will raise a hallelujah as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have been. If I'm breathing on planet earth, you can't stop me. I'm going to declare my God is good. All right, you go, dude. And he keeps telling us, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. In other words, don't depend upon a person. Don't depend upon a government, a politician, a boss to give you a raise. The answer to your problems is not going to be found in humans. And that's why he says in verse 3, actually blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. That's the God of our Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, whose hope is in Yahweh, his God. And again, that is the whole point. I know I've said it, and I'm sort of beating a dead horse, but I'm trying to make sure we don't miss this. You can't say praise God because things are going well necessarily. You say praise God because of who he is and what he's promised to do. And we've missed that. We've turned it into just a, hey, cool, well, that's great. Praise God kind of phrase when things are going well. When actually we need to say praise God regardless of what we're standing in the middle of, but completely because of who he is and the fact that we can trust him. And so the psalmist continues to describe him. Because what we need to remember is we didn't name him Yahweh, and we don't decide what he's like. That's up to him. He's the one. When Moses said, who should I tell him, told me this at the burning bush? His answer was Yahweh. That's my name, and now let me tell you about me. You see, everything that we know to be true about God isn't some idea we came up with. We didn't form a committee and say, hey, what do you think would be good? What kind of God do we want to have? Our God says, this is who I am. And because of his faithfulness, his love, his justice, we can trust him. And so the psalmist keeps going and says, this is Yahweh. He's the one who made heaven and earth. He's the one who made the seas and all that is in them. He's the one who keeps faith forever. He's the one who executes justice for the oppressed. He's the one who gives food to the hungry. It is Yahweh who sets the prisoners free. It is Yahweh who opens the eyes of the blind. It is Yahweh who lifts up those who are bowed down. It's Yahweh who loves the righteous. In this context, the godly, those who live those ways. It is Yahweh who lifts up those who are bowed down. What that means is to take a position of humility before God. It is a position of worship, but it's a position of humility and reverence that says, God, I don't understand why I'm going through this. I don't understand how this is supposed to work out for good. I don't, I don't know what you're up to, but I trust you. It is Yahweh who lifts up those who bow before him and say, I trust you no matter what I'm seeing. You see, we raise a hallelujah, not because of our circumstances, but because of who God is and the fact that we can trust him to fulfill his promises. So that brings us back to the song because the song helps us understand we don't raise a hallelujah just because things are going well. We don't wait for things to go well before we start. Actually, it tells us why we raise a hallelujah even when things aren't good. The phrase we sang was, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Now, I know somebody here wants to say, but Jimmy, I don't have any enemies. Everybody loves me. I was voted most popular in high school. I get 4,000 likes on every Facebook post. I mean, I, people love me. Well, I hate to tell you, even if everybody on earth loves you, you still have an enemy. Is it, it's the devil. Here's what scripture says. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, your enemy, 
prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's just looking. He's just waiting. He's just trying to find. So what can you do? Well, you can resist him by standing firm in your faith. You can resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In other words, you're not alone. You're not the first person this is happening to. You're not the only one to be going through this. And you're not alone while you're going through it. God has put you in a spiritual family, Christians all over the world. Whatever you're facing, someone else is facing. Someone has been through it, and you are not alone. That's how you can resist the devil, because you are not alone. And after having suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you, and he will establish you. I want to be clear. I'm not saying the devil causes your difficulties. What I am saying is what the Bible says, and that is when you face difficulties, the devil shows up. He likes to whisper. He likes to attack. Why? Because the Bible tells us he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. One of the things he wants to steal, kill, and destroy is your faith, your destiny, your life. Yeah, he's after it all. And so when you face a challenge, the devil likes to show up and start whispering, I don't know if you can trust God. I don't know if God's going to be as good as you think he is. Hey, have you noticed he hasn't answered your prayer yet? Have you noticed you're all alone? He'll tell you nobody else is suffering the way you are, even though it's not true. And so the problem in our difficulty is we're going to have the whisperings. We're going to have an enemy trying to take us down. And so we have a choice and we're going to have to deal with, are we going to raise a hallelujah to tell the enemy we don't care what he thinks? See, as the devil starts saying, you know, God isn't good. God isn't going to show up. You remember that prayer he didn't answer? That's when you go, hallelujah, because my God is on the throne. My God cast you down once. My God's about to do it again. And I trust my God, even though my circumstances haven't caught up with his decree, I know that he will be good because my God is Yahweh, the one and the only. See, that's what it means to raise a hallelujah in the presence of your enemies because he's after your faith when you face a difficulty. I was talking to my neighbor just a few weeks ago, um, my wife and I, we live next door to a, a retired and elderly couple. And so the husband uh, is unfortunately facing dementia and Alzheimer's and, and his health is just generally getting worse. And so the, the wife came outside one day when I was in my yard and, and she started talking to me, hey, how you doing? And, you know, have you heard about my husband? And she's got this big beaming smile on her face. I'm, yeah, yeah, we've been praying for you. So sorry to hear her. She says, well, you know, a lot of my family is always, I'm so sorry you're having to go through that. You shouldn't have to, to go through that. You're such a good person. And she looked at me with a big smile on her face and said, you know what I tell them? I say, why not me? I have faith. I know who my God is. I've got faith that'll carry me through this. Imagine somebody that doesn't know who their God is having to go through this. Why not me? I'm the best candidate. And I think, wow. I knew she, standing in that yard that day, she was going to make a sermon at some point. Because see, she raised a hallelujah as her enemy was whispering and she shut him up. There is nothing better to shut the devil up than when he is yapping in your ear and you turn and look at him and say, hallelujah, my God is good. And on that same note leads us to the next saying, I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. In addition to the unbelief, the enemy is whispering. 
is the unbelief we have within ourselves because the truth is I think one of the greatest battles we face in the natural realm is the battle over our minds. Our thoughts run rampant and our thoughts are good at evaluating our circumstances and our ability to change them so obviously unbelief sets in real fast because often you and I don't have any control. And so we deal with things like fear and worry, doubts that God will show up and do anything and well, it's unbelief. Let me show you a really neat passage about how to deal with the unbelief as it comes at us. It's about Abraham. You see, Abraham was a man that God went to very early on in history and said, I'm going to establish a people upon the earth. I'm going to have a people for myself. I'm going to do it through you. Not only are you going to have this people, you're going to be the father of nations. Matter of fact, your descendants are going to be so numerous, you won't be able to count them like the stars. The problem is God is talking to Abraham and telling him that he's going to be the father of multitudes. Abraham is old. His wife is beyond childbearing years. And matter of fact, she was barren even when she was young. But this is what Scripture says. Abraham did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead <laughs> since he was about 100 years old. I just love how the Bible just calls it for what it is. And he did not weaken in his faith when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Nope, didn't bother him one bit. He, no unbelief made him waver. Really? Abraham? No unbelief made him waver concerning what Yahweh had said. If Yahweh said it, it was going to be true to him. Matter of fact, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He grew strong in his faith as, I think that might be the most important word in that verse. He grew strong in his faith as he raised a hallelujah. Because see, as you raise a hallelujah, it gets louder and louder than the thoughts you're having and the ones the devil is whispering to you. You see, it turns out in the midst of a battle when everything is going wrong is the number one time we need to raise a hallelujah to silence the doubts and the fears and the worries. Now look, I know you're all like really mature adults and so no one has done this lately, but do you remember when we were kids? And you got into a fight with one of your siblings and y'all just start yelling at each other back and forth and you walk away, but they chase you and they just keep yelling at you. So you pick up the TV remote and you turn it on. You just turn it up as loud as it'll go and you just look at them and smile. <laughs> louder. Louder than the unbelief. Some of y'all did this as adults and you should be ashamed, but you did this when you were fighting with your spouse once and you were in the car and you got into a little thing back and forth and back and forth and you just turned the radio up and you just smiled at them. And notice no one did that twice, by the way. <laughs> Louder than the unbelief. See, we raise a hallelujah. We declare God is good. No matter what we hear whispering, we just get louder and louder at declaring how good God is because it silences the unbelief. And we sang, I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah heaven comes to fight for me. Do you know you need heaven to come and fight for you? I only got one amen. You need heaven to come and fight for you. First of all, because quite often, as we just talked about, your faith is weak. My faith gets weak. When we go through a battle, we do feel alone. And when we're facing tough circumstances, so many times we're just at a place where if it's up to me by myself, I'm just not going to be strong enough. I need heaven to fight for me. But second of all, because you know, Many of our battles, and maybe much of every battle, is also spiritual. We need heaven. When I say heaven, I'm talking about God and the host of heaven. We need 
God and his angels to get involved in our fight, to get actively involved. I want to show you a really cool scripture that will help you when you're going through something difficult. This is out of Psalm 22, and we're going to start at verse 3. It's written by King David. And notice, we're going to start at verse 3. Because the first two verses are actually not encouraging. The first two verses are like, God, why have you left me? What's going on? Why am I facing so much difficulty? Why have you forsaken me? But notice, even though in his first two verses, he, he gives us feelings and his struggles, and he's honest with God about what he feels. Here's what he declares to be true in verse 3. Yet, not what I feel, but you are holy. And you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. What David is saying is, I, I feel like you're not there. I feel like you've left me alone. But I know you have it because you are holy. You are good. You are powerful. And you are here because you are enthroned on the praises of your people. What's cool about that word enthroned is it actually means to, to come and to sit with, to dwell with, to come and sit and to inhabit. It's like, if I could give you this picture, imagine you're having lunch with a coworker or two and another coworker walks by and says, hey, hey, why don't you sit and have lunch with us? You see, when that coworker then sits down at your table, they're no longer thinking about anyone else in the room or another table. They're not involved in another conversation. Nope, they become consumed and actively involved in what is happening at this table. Whatever conversation is there, they join into that. And here's the reality. You and I need God to come and sit at our table sometimes. That's why we don't wait for the table to be perfect and to be all cleaned up to say, well, praise God. But we say, raise a hallelujah in the midst of a messed up table because only God can fix the table we're sitting at so much of the time. We raise a hallelujah. So what does all this mean to us? Well, very simply, if we know everything we just said to be true, then it brings us to the point of the song, which is also our point today. When we say, I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. What? No, 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 I'll sing after God answers the prayer. No. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm when I'm calling a bankruptcy attorney, not just because I won the lottery. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm on my way to marriage counseling, not because my marriage is great. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm when only God can do something on my way to the doctor because the doctor's already told me he can't. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm because that's when it matters most because we need to bring God into the world that we're living in. We need to bring God into the circumstances that are broken. We need God to come and do what only he can do. It's actually a story behind the song. You may have heard the story, but for those of you that haven't, there was a couple with two small children and a four-year-old girl, a two-year-old son, and the two-year-old son got sick and they thought it was pretty normal, so they took him to the doctor. It turns out it wasn't normal, so he went from the doctor to the hospital, from the hospital to intensive care. And he ended up in intensive care diagnosed with kidney failure caused by E. coli. And it didn't look good for this two-year-old child. Matter of fact, outside of a supernatural miracle, there was going to be no response. And so this couple, they happened to be in the worship leading and 
songwriting community here in America. And so they texted out to a lot of other friends, hey, we need your prayers. And because of people being connected, the prayer request ended up going viral. And so when it came to one particular couple, as they sat down to pray, again, the worship community, this particular couple turned their prayers into a song as they began to pray over this child they began to write out what they were praying. The husband of the couple said, as soon as I got the prayer request, I looked and I felt there was a giant of unbelief standing in front of me. So all we knew to do was to raise a hallelujah in the presence of our enemies. This song was birthed out of a storm that no one, no one knew how it would turn out. The good news for everybody, God did a miracle, and that child is perfectly fine. But we all know sometimes you're facing a storm and you don't know how it's going to turn out. Matter of fact, some of you would say, well, Jimmy, that's, that's easy for you to preach a sermon and use a story when everything worked out great. That leads me to ask you a question. When do you raise a hallelujah? When do you raise a hallelujah? Is it something you do when everything is going well? Is it something you do right after God's answered the prayer? Well, the truth is to raise a hallelujah right after God answered the prayer, that's still good. That's being grateful. But to raise a hallelujah in the middle of a storm when you have no idea how it's going to turn out, that's called worship. When do you raise a hallelujah? And I know somebody would like to argue. If you had a microphone, you'd say, Jimmy, that sounds churchy and religious to tell us to praise God in the midst of our greatest difficulty. You have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea how broken my marriage is and how many tears I've cried. And you have no idea what... I'm facing you have no idea. And actually, I would say, I do. I would say, I'm not standing here before you today to preach a song based on theory, but I've had to live what I've preached to you today. You see, just over 16 years ago, my wife went in for an ultrasound with one of our children. What should have been an absolutely normal day, and unfortunately, the doctor told her that what he saw in the ultrasound was that this child had no chance of life. Now that was bad news that no woman ever wants to hear. But for us, it wasn't just bad news because that particular day would have been the first birthday of the child we lost exactly one year earlier. You see, that wasn't bad news. That's what you call a storm, a perfect storm coming against our faith against the calling in our lives, against our marriage, against everything. So my wife calls, I pick her up, I take her home. I put her in our bed so that she could deal with her emotions. And I went outside to deal with mine because I was angry and I was gonna need to make some noise. I remember going out to my driveway and I started yelling. My theology was probably a little confused at the moment. I wasn't sure who to yell at. Started out yelling at the devil. Then I realized the devil is not that powerful. 
So I started yelling at God. And I realized yelling at God wasn't gonna really get me anywhere. So I went back to yelling at the devil. And the truth is, it was a very confusing moment. You ever been confused in the middle of a storm? And no matter how confused it was, what I do remember is standing there saying in my driveway, he's looked up to heavens and just said, you can take a hundred children. I will never stop saying God is good. I raised a hallelujah. I don't tell you that story to brag because I couldn't and did not do that a year before that. You see, sometimes we have to go through enough storms and see God carry us through them that even if they don't have the outcome that we want sometimes, we see enough of God's goodness that we, we learn to raise a hallelujah in the middle of the storm. I can't prove it to you, but I believe as I raised a hallelujah in my driveway that day, a miracle took place. I can prove to you a miracle took place because I have an ultrasound picture that any doctor would look at and say, I'm sorry. And yet, today I have a 16-year-old giant who likes to brag about how tall he is. Someone in the, after the last service asked, where did he get his height from? I said, listen, man, when God gets in there and starts moving stuff around, it's not my DNA that's ruling the womb anymore, you know? Yeah. If I could get the worship team to come on out and join us. We have finished every one of these sermons each week by going back through the song, singing it again, giving us the opportunity to really wrestle with the words and maybe wrestle with God a little bit, to really see if we can move something from our head to our hearts. So as we sing this song, I know some of you are in the middle of a storm. Some of you are in the middle of the greatest storm you have ever faced. And what I can tell you is there's never a better time to raise a hallelujah, to say God is good, to praise Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the one that you can trust. It's never a better time. Would you stand to your feet and let's let the worship team lead us.
God, we need you in a storm more than any other time. And yet, it's the hardest time for us to realize it. It's the hardest time for us to declare you are good. And the truth is we can't do that out of our own wisdom or out of human strength. We do it out of your grace reaching toward us. So God, my prayer for every person here as they're facing a storm now or in one to come is that you'll meet them. You'll give us the strength, God, to call upon you, to declare you are good, even when what we see is confusing and difficult, but that we'll put our trust in you as the most high God, as trustworthy, as faithful, as true and good, because that is who you are. So we say, hallelujah, praise you, Yahweh. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. The best news ever is that even though you and I are not perfect, we've sinned and something has separated us from a perfectly holy God, he still loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross You see, Jesus lived a perfect life, so when he died on the cross, his blood shed could pay for your sins and mine because he had none of his own. And then the same power that raised him from the dead offers you and me eternal life. If you have never received this gift of salvation, forgiveness, eternity, and being right with God, I want to help you do that right now wherever you are. Simply pray with me and say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so today, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Would everybody help me celebrate with them?